Amen. Can we just give God some praise as we take a seat this morning? Well, we are in, uh, I don't know, I think I've lost count now. We're in like week seven or eight, I guess, of a series called This is the Gospel. And uh, we've been journeying through the book of Mark. And, um, and, and I know it, some of you, maybe you've grown up in different churches who do things a little differently. Uh, uh, we, we do topical series from time to time, but, uh, but we really believe that there's something powerful about the Word of God and just diving in and going verse by verse uh, through a book. And, uh, and so we've been journeying through the book of Mark, and, and we're going to kind of take it up a little bit to, to Christmas. We're going to pause for a bit and then pick it up in, in the new year. Um, but I really love what, what God's been speaking to our church through this series, because it's just this, this gentle reminder to us of the power of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, that Jesus came to save some messed up, broken people like you and I from our, our sin and he came to, to, to flip uh, the whole religious world upside down. And, um, and so I, I'm going to tell you this morning, we're actually going to be diving in uh, to chapter 2. We're going to be skipping a few verses. We're going to come back to them next week. I just want to let you know. Uh, and, and some of that is, is just given around uh, where we are in the life of our church. I'm just going to go ahead and tease this. Next week, you're going to want to be here. You're going to want to be here, okay? So, so next week... I'm going to be sharing some vision around our church, where we're going, some things that we believe God is doing. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, we probably have some really big news that you're going to want to be here. And we're not going to live stream. Next week, we are actually, we're going to try and get as many people in this place as possible uh, because we believe it's going to be that big of a Sunday. So I want you to go ahead and mark it on your calendars. Is that a good enough tease? Did I, did I sell it good enough? That you're already like, yeah, I want to be here next week. Good. That's, that's my job, but. I want to talk to you today around the title of this is getting old. And I'm not going to have you tell your neighbors, like, you know, sometimes I have, you know, you tell your neighbor my, my title because I, I don't believe that's the truth this morning, hopefully. But I, I want to talk to you around the title. This is getting old. Back in August, um, Amanda and I and, the, and the, the kids, we went on vacation and we went down to Florida. And, and I remember kind of sharing a little bit of that with you. And, and Noah's biggest thing is that he wanted to fly uh, so that we could rent a Tesla uh, when we got down there, because he's obsessed with Teslas. And so, so we did, um, but just so you don't think we're too bougie, we flew Frontier. And, um, and what I'm coming to realize is they call it Frontier uh, because they only care about you, the front part of your trip. They get you there, and then they leave you stranded. And uh, so we, we went to Florida, and we flew Frontier. We were all good on the way there. And um, on the way back, we, we were actually in Florida, and uh, like three days before we're supposed to fly home, we already got a notification that they delayed our flight. Like that's normally, like that's a red flag right there. And, and so we, we kept waiting and kept waiting to see if they were going to delay it anymore or anything that, uh, that was going to happen. And, and so finally we didn't. So we're like, all right, we're going to go to the airport. We turned in the rental car. We're going up the escalators to go to the gate to check in our luggage. And I get another notification. And our nine o'clock flight got delayed till 1 a.m., and, uh, and we had literally just turned in the rental car. Everything's all, all good. And, and we, had, we, we were, this is how much we love our church. We were like, we got to get back for Sunday. Like this is, we had already missed the first Sunday at Keystone North. And we're like, we got to miss, we can't miss another Sunday. And so we're sitting there, we're trying to figure out what's happening. And then we notice all of the other flights on Frontier, they were all getting delayed. I'm like this is, this is not good. And so I go to get in line at customer service, um, which I figured as an airline, they'd have customer service 
And uh, as soon as I get in line, the lady just shuts the customer service line off, walks back behind the little thing, and just says, y'all can deal with the website. (laughs) So here we are. I got my kids, and they're ready to go home, and and all this kind of stuff, and we can't get any news. And so I'm, like, looking on on the website, and I'm getting the emails and all this kind of stuff. And and basically, it comes down to the point where we're realizing if we want to get home by Sunday, we're going to have to take things into our own hands. And so we went down to the, uh, the rental car desk. We rented a Chrysler Pacifica. My daughter was now crying, walking through the airport to go get the rental car because she missed her dog and she didn't want to drive and she just wanted to be home. And, and we got in that Chrysler Pacifica and we drove to Pennsylvania, straight from Orlando. And what's funny is, is when you, you get in, um, you know, we get in the car, we, we get on the highway and, and as soon as you get on 95, it's like the next turn is in 985 miles. Like, you, you guys know that, like, that, that feeling. We're like, this is going to be a long drive. And so we're driving, and it's just like I'm counting down, and, and the first few hours were fine. The first few hours, the kids are kind of settled in, and, and I'm just, like, watching the miles go down, go down, go down, go down. But it's still, like, 600 miles, 500 miles, 400 miles. And I start to say to myself, all right, this is getting old real fast. Can anybody relate? Anybody been on a road trip like that? And so we're driving, we're driving, we're driving, we're driving, and we hit traffic, we hit all sorts of stuff. Noah had to go to the bathroom like five times in the, like, you know, a one-hour span. Like, it's just, this is getting old. And then finally, that glorious voice came on. I hadn't heard it in like 16 hours. And it was like, in two miles, take the exit right. How many of you guys like that, that, that sound, right? It means you're getting close. And you know what's funny is, is uh, in that moment, I, I'm like sitting here and the last hour we hit so much traffic and we hit all these different things and, and I was just waiting for that to come on. But you know what would be weird? If, if the voice was telling me to get off, if the map was pointing me to get off, but I just stayed on and I just kept going. And I said, you know what? This road has gotten me pretty good so far. Like we stopped at Bucky's. Like we, we, there's some Chick-fil-A's and stuff right off the, like this road's done me pretty good. I, I've gotten a long way on this road. But if I just decided now when I'm supposed to be getting off, I'm just going to stay the course. Like, is that, is that foolish? Yes. And the funny thing is, is actually, we're going to see in scripture today, we, we, there's some people that they'd been on this road that they were supposed to be on. It was a good road. It was getting them in the right direction, but But Jesus came and said, hey, you know what? There's a better road. There's an exit here. There's a place that you're supposed to get off. And they decided they didn't want to. And sometimes we can look at people like the Pharisees and we can look at like people like the, uh, you know, the scribes and all these different people, the religious people in the Bible, and we can judge them so hard. But there are things in your life, I guarantee it, that God is saying, get off now, get off now, get off now. And we're still staying on track. And so as we open up into to Mark chapter 2, we're going we're gonna to find that Jesus, he, he came to tell the Jewish people that the old covenant got you here. It got you to this point. It was good up until a point, but now it is time to get off. Stop staying stuck in the old ways, the old traditions, and follow me because I'm going to show you a new and better way. And we're going to dive in, and, and maybe if you've been in church for too long, you, you've heard this word, the Pharisees, Right? And the etymology of that word is, is basically, it says this, that they're, they're the holy set-apart ones. And this group of the Pharisees, they actually started with very, very good intent. 
You see, about 200 years before Jesus ever came, there was this Maccabean revolt that was happening. Basically, what was happening is is there was this Greco-Roman influence, right? So there was these other empires that were coming in that were trying to influence the Jewish people. And the Jewish people had their, their law, the Mosaic law, the moral law that God had given them for centuries to follow. And what happened is culture began to creep in and try and, and uh, compromise what God had told the Jewish people to do. And so finally, we have this, this Maccabean revolt. There's, there's wars. There's all sorts of stuff that's going on where the Jewish people are saying, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to give in to the Hellenistic views of the, of the culture around us. We're not going to uh, abide by what uh, the rulers of Greece and, and Rome are telling us, but we're actually going to stand firm in the word of God. That sounds like a good thing, right? But what would happen is, is this, is they began to take tradition and exalt it over and beyond the written word of God. And so over time, these Pharisees, these are kind of like just normal people like you and I who just decided one day, I'm going to abide by this to the letter of the law and even beyond it. And they began to put a weight on the shoulder of people that were serving God. Now, these Pharisees, they actually... Um, They didn't have much care for political power. The thing that they really cared about was the power of the temple, the power of of what was happening in the religious sphere. And the the Pharisees, uh, over, over time began to add to the written word of God through oral uh, traditions. And so actually we're going to read about something called the Sabbath. We're going to read about fasting and we're going to see that what, the word of God had spoken to the Israelite people is not exactly what the Pharisees were trying to enforce. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter two. If not, it'll be on the screen. And we're gonna be in verse 18. And it says this, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, I just want to go ahead. If you don't know what fasting is, this is actually one of the three main pillars of Judaism at this time. There was prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which is basically going and helping the the needy people around you. And and fasting is basically where you take some time and and it means the one who is empty. So you're emptying yourself of something. And, And in this time, it was food. And there would be people that they would do complete fast and there'd be no food, no liquid from sun up to sundown. And that would, that would uh, quantify as a day of fasting. And in the Jewish law, there was one day a year called Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, where the Jewish people were called to fast and everyone is supposed to fast. But what had happened is this, the Pharisees began to impose more religious weight on the people and every Monday and every Thursday, we're going to fast. And we're not only just going to fast in our own quiet little circle of our life, we're actually going to go out and parade it to the people around us. And not only that, when they fasted, it was like this, like really, really intense, sad kind of thing where like they wanted everybody to know how miserable they were for God. Ever been to church like that? (laughs) It's like, oh, I love Jesus and I'm miserable because of it. That's not the way we're supposed to live. And so fasting in in this is going to be a hot topic. And actually the, the prophet Jeremiah speaks on behalf of God that that God is actually coming against the, the way the religious people had fasted for so long because he says this, you fast, but I will not hear your cry because you are fasting for the, the outward approval of man rather than actually seeking my heart and being in alignment with what I call you to do. So it says this in verse 19. And Jesus said to them, 
can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. One, this is, uh, there's so much even in those verses right there. The first is there's this imagery of the bridegroom that represents Jesus coming back for his bride, the church. And here right now, he's saying, hey, I'm here. Why would my disciples need to fast if I'm right here with them? The other thing is, it's quite a contrast between the picture of fasting that the Pharisees had. Because you, some of you, how many of you guys like going to weddings? I'm like not putting my hand up. Right? Some of, some of you, you, like you're weird and you like going to weddings. But maybe you just go to different weddings than I do. Because normally weddings are brutal. You're just like, when can I get out? I remember going to a wedding when I was a kid that the ceremony was like two hours and 40 minutes and I was just like dying 10 minutes into it. And then you gotta go and there's the, the, you know, the reception hour for two hours. Like everything's brutal. But actually in this day and age, weddings were like the party of all parties. And they didn't just last for a couple hours or an afternoon. They would last up to seven days so for seven full days, all of a sudden, they've got this courtyard with all these people out here, and they're lighting it up, and they've got, they've got the wine, and they've got the food, and they've got music and dancing and all this kind of stuff. And whenever you think you're hungry, uh, they just bring out more food. And whenever you think you're thirsty, somebody's coming out to bring more to drink. And whenever you're bored, they've got a new entertainment or music coming. And it's just this whole lively picture of what a wedding looks like. And so Jesus is saying, you are fasting and it's all gloomy and depressing and sad. But what I'm comparing it to is actually very lively and, and very, uh, very exciting that something is happening here. And so he's, he's saying this, well, right now I'm, I'm with the, the groom, or the groom, I'm with the bride. So how can I be here and they fast? You wouldn't be at a wedding and, and the, the bride and groom are still there and you're not eating and enjoying and, and taking part in the festivities. Now, when they leave and that waiter's not coming around anymore, like it's like when the tray of, at cocktail hour it runs out of your favorite appetizer, like it, then you can, you can be sad. Then you can, you can fast. But Jesus is saying, I'm here. He's also forecasting and, 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 and prophesying to the fact that he is gonna be taken away. In verse 21, it says this, he continues, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Like, who would do that, right? If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And some of you, maybe you're like me when I remember the first time I read this when I was, I think probably in middle school. And I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Like sometimes the Bible, you know, like this is way above my pay grade. But I want to give you a little bit of context of what happens here, right? So in this day and age, if you, you had a, an outer robe, you would be wearing your robe, all this kind of stuff. You're walking along a path and all of a sudden you tear it, right? Well, this is your favorite robe. What are you to do? Well, you don't go and you take fresh, unshrunk patches and put them on your worn, shrunk 
robe, right? Because what's going to happen is then the next time when the, whenever it gets wet and whenever it dries, all this, the, the patch now is going to begin to shr- shrink and it's going to pull all of the weak robe around it and it's going to tear and it's going to make the problem even worse. What Jesus is saying here is this. He's comparing the robe to the old covenant. And he's saying, I am the new. You can't just come and patch up the old with the new and expect it to not cause some friction, some tearing. There's going to be some some things that are going to start to rip and it's not going to be compatible. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus did not come just to patch up the empty spots of your life. He came to make you new. So it's not about, hey, how can we fit this in with the old patterns, the old covenant? Jesus is saying, you know what? If you try and take the old law and the old traditions and you try and take all of the old ways and patch in me and my newness and my grace and my mercy and my power and you put all of this together, what you're doing is this. You're convoluting both and it's going to cause them to rip. And and what he's doing is he's challenging these people in this moment to say, do you stand with the old ways or are you going to walk in the new ways? Can I tell you something? This morning, he's challenging you to do the same thing. We continue on and it's it's very much of the same theme here and and it's the next is is, uh, the title at the top says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And again, Sabbath is something that is very uh, crucial to the Jewish people at this point. You see, uh, circumcision and Sabbath were the outward uh, signs of the Jewish people to all those people around you. It's a little awkward, right? So if I want people to know I'm Jewish, I'm going to make sure I honor that Sabbath. Don't want them looking anywhere else. But the Sabbath, we, we can't even begin to comprehend what the Sabbath is. Like, we just think of a day off. We just think of, like, the day where we're not going to work or, or a day that we just do some stuff around the house. But the Sabbath in this culture was so much more than that. It was extreme. And it actually dates back to, to when Jesus, uh, or when God the Father spoke to the Jewish people in Exodus 35, and he established the, 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 the covenant of Sabbath. This actually was a, a good thing for these people because Jesus uh, is in this culture and he's, he's sitting and he's watching all these people who are, who are working six days a week, very hard work, right? And, and the favor of God, the grace of God is saying, you know what, I want you to take one day and I give you full permission. I give you full right to not do anything. How many of you would take that right now, right here in this moment where just life paused one day a week? And... and, and God the Father actually modeled this even in creation that for six days he worked and on the seventh day he, what? He rested. And so God gave the Israelite people Sabbath as an outward sign to all the cultures around you that you keep working, you keep working, you keep working, but you know what? We can find rest on this day. But what happened was this, is that the Mosaic law spelled out certain things, but the Pharisees, the scribes, and all of the religious devout people, they began to just put more and more weight. And it turned into this thing that was quite heavy, in fact, on Sabbath, if you're, if you're you know, sun up to sundown, basically, from Sabbath, you can't do any work, any labor at all that is not life-threatening. You can't walk farther than a half of a mile total on Sabbath. If you broke an arm and it's not life-threatening, you cannot set it on Sabbath until the next day. 
If your roof fell down on Sabbath, you cannot repair it until the next day. The only thing you can do is look to see if there's any survivors. Like there is so much. You, you, you can't tie a knot on Sabbath, but you could untie a knot. Like there's all these different things that, that, that the Jewish people had, had kind of taken this to the extreme. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to begin to challenge that in front of them. It says this in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? One, I just want you to know this. That statement is incorrect. They're determining what is lawful and unlawful based on their tradition, not on the word of God. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. This is a callback to 1 Samuel 21, when David is on the run and is in hiding from, from King Saul. And he's just fought this great battle and they're hungry and they're, they're trying to figure out how are we gonna eat? And they go and the only bread that is left in the house of the priest was the holy bread of presence. And normally the priests were allowed to eat this after seven days, the whole end of this thing. But, but in this moment, what Jesus is saying is this. Don't you know that, that these rules were not just set up for you to abide by so that I can have control over you? They were set up for your good. And he actually says this in, in verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, this is a title that, that Jesus has put upon himself. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The first thing I want you to write down this morning is this. Old means old. Old means old. And I'm not talking about age <laughs> but I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the way that, that Jesus is be beginning to shatter the religious traditions. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't break the law. He broke tradition. Jesus didn't break the Mosaic law. He broke tradition. He broke the man-made qualifications of the law, the things that they had put on here. And what Jesus is coming and saying is, hey, there, there, there's... There's a new guy in charge here. There's a new sheriff in town. There is a new covenant that I'm beginning to establish with my people that you don't have to be under this weight that you can never measure up. That's the, that's the crazy thing is, is the Jewish people put such a weight that they knew they could never, ever, ever measure up. They could never make it right. They could never abide by 100% of the law. They couldn't do it. And so there's this like depressing fact where you're sitting here for centuries and the best they could do is still short and they have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice, and, and they have to offer goat and lambs and, and birds and all these different sacrifices and hoping that the blood would just cover enough so that at the end, Jesus or, or God in, in heaven would look at him and say, okay, it measures out, you were good to go. Could you imagine that pressure? Could you imagine living a life that way? And some of you are saying yes, because it's the very life that you're living right now. That you are walking with the weight that God never put on your shoulders. You're walking with the weight of religion. You're walking with the weight of culture. You're walking with the weight of what others say that you should be, how you should behave, what you should look like, what you should do. But what I love about this is Jesus comes back and says, hey, I'm not worried about what they're saying. 
I'm worried about what the truth of my word says. I'm not sitting here breaking the law. I fulfilled the law. I'm breaking the tradition. I'm breaking the pressure. I'm breaking the weight. And not only in that, I'm going to show you that there's a new and better way. Stop driving up 95. It's time to get off. Old means old. Hebrews 8, 6, it says this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is what? Better. Since it is enacted on what? Better promises. Aren't you so glad that we don't have to abide by the old covenant? You start reading through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you start looking through all of that and you would feel that weight pretty quickly. Aren't you glad today that you are not bound by the old covenant, but you are walking in the new covenant today? A newer and better promise with a newer and better high priest. So why do we let the old still creep in? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And it says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, what old ways of living are you holding on to? We, we had a, a discipleship um, yesterday morning, and I was just kind of sitting here and, and hearing everybody talk. And, and, and I'm sitting here, and I'm listening to this uh, somebody that's in our group that's some of these guys, they've been believers for so many years, but we're just going through the study together. And I believe that right now there's a season where the Holy Spirit is just spurring some people on. That I don't care how long you've been a believer for, that he's creating a deeper hunger, right? So I don't care how long you've been a believer, how long you've grown up in church. I don't care whether this is your first time or your 500th time. There is something that, that God wants to do that he wants to take away the old the old nature, the old habits, the old patterns, the old ways of thinking, the old weights that you used to carry. So what old ways are you still holding on to and clinging to like they are relevant? Is it time to get off? Is it time to let go of, of the, the religious uh, mindset that has permeated your heart and your mind that you just have to earn your way? You have to prove your way. You have to be good enough. You have to measure up because that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that we could never measure up, but Jesus paid the price so that we can stand in right standing before God the Father someday on account of what Jesus did. Are you trying to earn your favor with God? Are you, are you still holding on to, to selfish ambitions? Are you still holding on to the, the conceited ways of this world that it's all about me and mine and, and what I can do and what I want to see and what, what I want to be? Are, are you holding on to the pressure of what people around you are saying? Are you holding on to old ways of thinking? Some of you, you don't even realize it, but you're clinging so tightly to the very thing that you think is, is oppressing you. You wouldn't even know what to do if God took your anxiety like that because you're so caught up in the old ways of thinking and, and I've got to have it together and I've got to be the one to do this and I've got to be the one to make my, my way out of this and I've got to be the one. You know what? That is not the gospel. That's not the truth. What old ways of Living, are you holding on to today? The second point is this. I want you to write this down. New means new. How many of you like new? Those that aren't raising your hand, you're lying. 
because I've seen you, you get like a new pair of shoes and you walk around like a million dollars for the next two weeks. The problem that we have though is, um, is new is never new enough. We, we had this conversation with our son Noah yesterday because uh, he was begging to go spend some of his birthday money at five and below. And I took the weight and I spent 35 minutes in five and below with my two children yesterday, wandering around aimlessly until he could find some little $5 trinket that's gonna break. And what's funny is, is not as soon as he had said thank you and gotten in the car, he's already asking for something else. We like new. We appreciate new in all the other areas of our life, except our faith. It says that he has made us new. Us. It's not about a new house. It's not about a new car. It's not about a new pair of shoes. It's not about a new jacket, a new phone. It's not about he has made you new. You are that nice, fresh, shiny thing bred off the press because of what Jesus did for you. In Romans 8, 1 and 4, I love this. If you ever just want to pick me up, just go read, go read the book of Romans. Oh my goodness, there is so much profound encouragement and truth in there, but it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody who says, I am so glad there is no condemnation on me today. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is the old way. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. That means we could never measure up. We could never earn it. But he did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous required of the men of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So in the Holy Spirit, you are made new. In the ways that you could never measure up, there is a new covenant that says, hey, I took, the, I took your place and I've sent my spirit to come and empower you to make you new. The old has gone, the new has come. It's time to live new. Colossians, I'm gonna read a lot of scripture in this passage right here, but I, I, again, I just love the depth of this, this word. Our, we don't have a problem with scripture in this church, right? And it says this, if you then have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And it says that we are to set our minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. That'll preach just right there. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And it says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Uh-oh, <laughs> Uh-oh, we don't like to hear this in our culture. Put this to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, say, but now, you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Oh. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So what does it tell us to do? It says in verse 12, to put on then as God's chosen ones, this is us, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. That we're to put on kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That we're to be bearing it with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Some of you, that's what you need to declare right now. That I'm going to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what we do today. This is why we gather. And it says, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is making us new. This is taking us from the old It's saying to put that away. And I love, it it actually, it doesn't even just say hide it, does it? It doesn't even just say control it. It doesn't say uh, conceal it. It doesn't say lessen it. It says to put to death. That sin's not something that we tolerate or, or we manage. That our old way of living is not something that we just try and fit in with the new. It's something that we put to death. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in him. I, I, I put myself in submission to him. And I think if we're being honest, the evangelical culture nowadays is if you just control your sin enough, you'll be fine. But, but Jesus tells us that we are to put it to death because he has made us new. We aren't to feed it. We aren't to, to give into it, to tolerate it. We're to put it to death. So the next question I want to ask you is this, are you walking in all the newness that God has given you. If there's old things that the Holy Spirit has illuminated that you need to let go of, are there new things that the Holy Spirit is telling you today that you need to to take hold of, to grab onto, to cling to, to to bury deep into your heart? Are there things that, that God wants to do new in you today because he's made you a new creation, that you aren't the old you, that you aren't the worrier, that you aren't, aren't the anxious person all the time, that you aren't the person that's that's caught up in this or that, you aren't the person that is so selfish and prideful. No, that's that was the old you, but that one, that 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 you has been put to death. You were made new in Christ. And there are things that God wants to do in your life if you would just let him. So are you walking in all of the newness that God has given you? Because I said, Jesus didn't come to patch up the missing parts of your life. He came to replace it and to make it whole in him. He came to make you new and he came to give you peace. He came to give you joy. He came to give you hope. 
He came to give you purpose. He came to give you meaning. He came to give you wisdom and discernment. He came to give you strength. He came to give you protection. He came to give you healing. He, he imparts words of knowledge. He, he, he gives you patience when everything else around you is telling you, just go, 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 go. He gives you the peace just to sit in his presence. He shows you kindness. He works his Holy Spirit through you to do things that are beyond you. This is the newness that God has for you. Not just to live an okay life. Not to be caught up in the traditions of what used to be, how it used to happen. No, you can walk freely in the price that Jesus has paid for your life. I spent 14 years almost uh, as a worship pastor leading a creative team. And I'm a very, uh, I'm a very routine person. I like, I like routine. And um, early on in my ministry, I, I realized that, uh, that if I don't have routine, I, I drop a lot of balls. And so it's become one of those things that like, I, I'm very, I, I have my processes. I, I have things scheduled out. I, I have a flow of how I like things to be. And, and, and now I can kind of get a little OCD with it. But for, for 14 years almost, I, I kind of built into this, this routine, this flow of how to do things. And it kind of served me well. The things that used to take me, you know, 40 hours a week now, I'm doing it in a lot less time and, and I'm, I'm becoming more efficient in it and, and all this kind of stuff. But you know what happened about uh, a year and a half ago? My routine just got smashed <laughs> because I stepped into a new position and a new season. And what a fool I would be to think that I could just take what I did for 14 years in my old position and just copy it and mimic it and put it into this new season. And so over the last year and a half, there's, there's been a new process. And now my week looks entirely different. And now even the way that I frame my calendar and the way that I organize my emails and all of my documents and everything, like it's all shifted. And what I want to tell you this morning is this, is this is the old routine. And this is you before Christ. This is you BC. But now there should be some things that are shifting, some things that are moving, some things that are looking a little different. Because there's a new you, there's a new position, there's a new calling on your life that you are not just sitting here to, to work a nine to five. You are here to bring the kingdom of heaven down on earth and God has given you a calling. And so your life should look different on account of that. But does it? But does it? And I, I'm, I'm coming at a few things this morning because I think it gets to the heart, which is exactly what Jesus did in Mark 2. He's, he's coming at the heart. He's saying, listen, you're making this so much about this, but I want to get it to the heart. Why do you think that we follow Sabbath? Why do, we, why do you think that, 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 that God the Father spoke this out, that we're supposed to, to fast? Why do you think God the Father did this? It's because he cared for his people, and, and so he's coming at the, the Pharisees, and he's coming right at the jugular. He's coming right for the heart, and he's saying, You've gotten it out of balance. And I can tell by the way that you live. I can tell by the way that you act. I can tell by the way you orient your life. And so if I were to sit down with you this, this week and look at your calendar for the last seven days, could I tell that you care about the kingdom? 
<laughs> if I were to look at your budget for the next year, could I, could I tell that you care about more than just yourself? Could I, could I tell that you care for others, that you care about the work that God is? Could I, could I tell? When I, if I just listened in on your conversations for, for a day, would I hear that, that you care about the kingdom? Would I hear that you, you care about the work that Jesus has done? Would I hear the new you? Or would I just hear about the coworker that you can't stand and the job that you can't wait to get a promotion at and the vacation that you can't wait to take. I'm not saying those don't exist. They aren't real, but I'm saying this. Something, this is the time, guys, for us. I'm telling you, I'm so passionate about this. This is the time that the world needs the church to shine brighter than ever. And instead, we look like a little toy flashlight in Times Square. This is the moment for your life to matter beyond your own little family and your own little things and your, your own little world. What difference can you make? I believe that, that God wants to put away some old things. And I believe that this week, God wants to call you to some newness. So what new thing will you walk in this week? Or are you just stuck in the, the tradition, the routine of it all? I'm just picturing the heart of Jesus and the continuing verses, there's another story where Jesus encounters a man in the synagogue that he has a withered hand. And these Pharisees, they were looking so hard intently at Jesus to watch what he would do to see if he would heal him on Sabbath. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, what is better, to do good or to do evil? In the mind of Jesus, he says this, for me to do nothing in the sight of a great need is evil. And he looks at the man. And he was grieved in his heart over the attitude in the heart of the Pharisees. And he said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. If you look around, you'll see a great need. If you look around, you'll see pain and hurt. You'll see people who need the hope of Jesus. And I love the attitude that Jesus has in this moment that for me to do nothing is evil. For me to sit idly by and, and not do it. And, and listen, what did we talk about last week? Jesus knows the greater need. The greater need is, is the spiritual need. And it's in this moment that Jesus 
heals this man that the Pharisees, they went out and it says they held counsel with the Herodians on how to kill him, how to destroy him. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just sense that the Holy Spirit is, uh, he's, he's speaking right now. And I wanna give you a moment to listen, to hear, not my words, but to feel in your heart, to feel in your mind the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And just ask these questions to God in, 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 your, in your prayer. God, are there old things that I'm still clinging to that I need to let go of? And as he begins to show you, let it go. And some of you this morning, this question is the question you need to ask. Holy Spirit, is there something new that I need to cling to today? Is there something new that I need to walk in today? And I'm just gonna go ahead and say, the answer is yes. You just gotta hear what it is, discern what it is. we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we, came, we thank you that you came to show the heart of God, the nature of God, the compassion of God, that when man had gotten it all twisted and warped, you came to show the intent behind the law. That it wasn't just so that we would have a bunch of rules that we'd have to follow that we could never measure up. You did it for our good. You did it for our protection. You did it because you care about us. And Lord, we thank you that not only did you give the law for that, but Lord, that you sent your son for that. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life for that because you care for us. God, I pray for every person that's in this room and everyone that's watching with us online. Lord, I pray, Lord, help us to not be like the Pharisees, the scribes, Lord, that, that even with, if it started with good intent, Lord God, I pray that we would move past the, the traditions of man, and Lord God, that we would seek your heart, seek your will, that we would abide by your truth. God, I pray that we would walk out of here with some newness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint every person in this room today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill every person in this room today. I pray that you would give us a passion like never before today. God, that you would give us clarity on why we exist, why we're here, why you've appointed us for this very moment to be living where we live, around the people that we live around. God, I pray that you would give us your, your ears, Lord, to hear the needs, that our eyes to see the needs, Lord, and our hearts to care and respond to the needs of the people around us. God, we love you. And God, what, what other thing would be worth giving our lives to other than you, other than to your kingdom and your mission? 
And God, we've seen you move. We've seen you do great things. Lord, we've read of, of the sacrifice that you made on that cross. And Lord God, we want to be a people that says we've seen it, we've heard it, we know your heart. And Lord God, we want to go out and, and champion it to the world around us for your glory and for your renown. We exalt you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, church. Let's worship together.